Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 70. We're already here and we're 70. Um, <laughs> How you doing? I can't believe it. Good. We are, uh, I feel like we just recorded two days ago. Jen, <laughs> it's because we did just record two days ago. I know. You guys were recording a little bit early. Um, so hopefully no, no huge life-changing events happen between now and Monday when this comes out. We're recording a little bit early because none of your so, business. Yeah. Because I can't say business. it. I can't say it because we have the podcast curse. And if I say anything that I'm excited about, it won't happen. But we're supposed to be uh, going to a place. But uh-huh. I'll tell you uh, what I just found out just this morning is that my kids don't actually have fall break. <laughs> so you were like going to hypothetically go to a place for their fall break. And you, yes. you, you are going out of town, and then now they actually don't have school off. Yes, they still have school. <laughs> so now we're going to have to do it uh, remotely, which puts a damper on this situation. Can you just give them a, two days off? Well, I haven't talked to the, um, my son's teacher, but my daughter's teacher was real cool. And she was like, just do the assignments whenever. Don't worry about checking in. But I haven't yet talked to my son's teacher. Um, so what the heck? And I wouldn't have known this if my daughter didn't come running in the room and been like, we have school on Thursday and Friday. I'm like, what? No, you don't. It's been off the calendar for a year. And I guess like because of, you know. Yeah. Because it's we're learning so virtually. And- they took it back. That's, so those dirty dogs. Boo. And the thing <laughs> is, we were supposed to be, I could say it because it, it didn't happen, but we were supposed to be going to France. Oh, and that got right. canceled due to COVID. So now we're going somewhere. Um, I'm not going to say where, but it's less like glamorous. The, the France, <laughs> the Paris it's, of it's not Georgia. Paris. <laughs> I'll say that. When Max was in, in virtual school, the, the beginning, at the very beginning, his teacher was like, just do your best. If some days you can't log on, no big deal. Like, don't even worry about it. So he didn't go one day because he was with my dad and they couldn't log on. And then three hours later, I get a call. Jail yes, on a fucking you? school call. <gasps> it was like, your student was absent from school. I was like, you said it was cool, man. Yeah. You can't <laughs> be all uncool. You can't yeah. say you're cool and then not be cool. I thought we were just going to like do our best. <laughs> not that my kid was being marked fucking absent. <laughs> I know. Oh, uh, cool. Man, cool. Dude. Uh, should we do some quickies? Let's do it. All right. Oh, I'm first. All right, Jen. I remember how I used to do a lot of animal quickies. Yeah. I'm back, baby. All (laughs) right. Let's hear it. (laughs) This is a good one. So, okay. So this is from, I got my information from the BBC.com. In 2011, a 71-year-old retired bricklayer, his name is, okay, now I actually did the thing where you, you listen, you look up the name to see how to pronounce it. I listened to it twice on YouTube. And you forgot already. I forgot. So it's, 
God damn it. I don't I don't think I can even just go with your instincts. <laughs> I have no instincts. What That's does your heart problem. tell you? It sounds my like. heart is telling me it's Joao. Wow. Joao? Joao, probably. Joao. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good job. You know, you know how somebody? I know this? Do you know a Joao? Bravo. Below death. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this is why I need to get it. Bravo for the win. Bravo. <laughs> it is Joao. You're right. Joao. So his name is Joao Pereira de Souza, and he's from this island village just outside of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And so he was one day just walking on his local beach, and he found this tiny baby penguin that was covered in oil. It was close to death, and it was lying on the rocks. And so Joao cleaned the oil off the penguin's feathers, and over this week, he nursed him back to health, had to very carefully, like, just a little at a time, clean his feathers, and then he fed him. the commercials. Yeah, so, and then he fed him a daily diet of fish to build his strength back. He named this little penguin Dim Dim. And I know. And then once the penguin was better, Joao tried to release him back into the sea, but he wouldn't leave Joao's side. He actually stayed with Joao for 11 months. And then just after he changed his coat with new feathers, the bird disappeared. So, But then just a few months later, Dindim was back. Joao spotted him on the beach one day and Joao just or and Dindim just followed Joao home. And now every year since 2011, Dindim travels to spend time with the man who saved his life. He actually spends 8 months of the year in Brazil with Joao and then wow. the rest of the time breeding off the coast. <gasps> Isn't it crazy? Wow, that is crazy. Animals are so smart. I know. So Joao says he arrives in June and leaves to go home in February. And every year he becomes more affectionate as he appears, even happier to see me. And in an interview, Joao said, I love the penguin like it's my own child. And I believe the penguin loves me back. No one else is allowed to touch him. He pecks them if they do. He lays on my laps, lets me give him showers, allows me to feed him sardines and pick him up. And this biologist told The Independent that I've never seen anything like this before. I think the penguin believes Joao is part of his family and probably a penguin as well. When he sees them, he wags his tail like a dog and honks with delight. And Mm. Joao said, I'm flattered Dim Dim is happy to exchange his home with thousands of other penguins every year to find his way here to spend one-on-one time with me. It's a very special relationship. Oh, how Isn't that cute. good? I love that. I know. And the pictures of Joao and Dindim are mm. so cute. And I can't, I wait, can't for wait you guys to see them. I can't wait to see them. And I want one. Can you have a <laughs> penguin in Georgia if it's not at the zoo or the aquarium? Sure. Maybe. I say sure. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they have huskies here. <laughs> right? <laughs> awesome. All right, so for my quickie, remember how last week I forgot that I do all holiday-themed quickies during certain months? I know, but like, what is time, right? I, what is time? Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I remembered this week, and just as promised, I'm bringing you guys a Halloween-themed quickie. All right. Wow. Excited. So this article was actually written a year ago, and it took place during Halloween. And it was for the uh, this article is for the New York Times and was written by Tammy Lagorse. Um, Tammy, yes, getting that um, byline. Good for you. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about very romantic Halloween wedding venue. 
a wedding venue, which I okay. shall say. Okay. So last Halloween, Joanne Schwartz, who is the Burlington County Clerk, which is in Mount Holly, New Jersey, married five different couples on October 31st, which is Halloween, at the Burlington County Prison Museum. Apparently, this building has once housed murderers, bigamists, horse thieves, and all kinds of... <laughs> that's what the article says. Like, it's quite a jump from murderer to bigamists to horse thieves, but horse all of them. Thieves. Just a bunch of bad dudes. Um, all were once jailed at this prison, and many of them died in this prison. And they believe that many of these people still haunt the prison to this day. Um, Ooh, many prison. Yes. A number of people have said that they've heard strange noises, and they say that when they walk the halls of the prison, they feel like they're being followed. It's very creepy. In many previous years, they have always offered free Halloween wedding services at the prison museum, which the museum was built in 1811, and it closed for good in 1965. And so since then, they've offered free Halloween weddings, but nobody has taken up on, them up on it until this last year. So, I can't believe that. That's so hard to believe. I know, but apparently because there's all this signage about public hangings all over it. Oh, yeah. And there were six public hangings between 1863 and 1906. Famous inmates like Albert DeSalvo, who is also known as the Boston Strangler. There are signs all about these famous people in the prison museum. So people don't typically see that as like... A pretty setting. I know, but you I know? feel like there's so many just like wacky couples out there. Like I had some friends that had a Halloween themed wedding and, you know, I just feel like it's free. Yeah. I mean, so this, <laughs> so some of these couples, there's this one couple, their names are Teresa, Catherine, Dulesky, and Gabrielle Peguero. Um, she was 23 and he is 27. They met in August of 2018 when she was working at a Dunkin' Donuts and he was a clerk at a family dollar store across the street. Teresa Catherine says, Gabriel was one of my Gabriel, sorry. Gabriel was one of my coworkers and he'd come over and talk, but we were always laughing. As she got to know him, she also got to know his drink order, which was a caramel ice latte with no whipped cream and extra caramel. Very complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. Gabriel. You know, sugar. I'm worried about you. Gabriel. I know. Well, she started, she memorized his drink and started making it for him for free. And then she would find reasons to go over to the dollar store and see him. And within mm -hmm. weeks, they became a couple. They said that they fell in love because their personalities match and that and Gabriel says that she is his soulmate on July 21st at her baby shower because she when she was pregnant with their son Lucas Avery who was born in August he proposed and she said yes but being that they are soulmates they know how much Halloween means to each other it's their favorite holiday and it's my favorite holiday so when the couple went to get a marriage license in August, somebody told them about the prison wedding, weddings that were offered, and they signed up immediately. They went and showed up with their, they had about a dozen wedding guests, including their son who was sleeping in a little infant carrier. Aww. And uh, they met Please on, tell me he was in a pumpkin costume. 
<laughs> he, you know what? I don't know what they were, uh, he was dressed as, but they were dressed up as Belle and Beast from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Amazing. I, uh, Disney weddings, <laughs> once again. Uh, what was their wedding song? <laughs> I'm sure it was that tale as old as time. Is that the name of the song or is that just how I remember it? But she said that that's her favorite Disney movie. And so in the beginning, there's a masquerade ball in the beginning of the movie. So she had all of her guests wear masquerade, like masquerade masks. So maybe her son was wearing one of those. Um, (laughs) So she says that Belle, you know, from Beauty and the Beast is so much like me. She's odd. She's a little different and she loves to read. (laughs) It's just, I, I, yeah, it's just, it reminds me of like, do you like fiction books? I like fiction books. (laughs) But yes, you guys are in love. You're your soulmates. And I love that. Um, So, so the wedding for them was perfect. And um, there was another couple, 58 year old Karen Riggins and 54 year old Jeffrey Weisinger from Beverly, New Jersey, that weren't really planning to do a Halloween celebration for their wedding. They said that they just chose the day. Karen is a career coach and Jeffrey is a youth therapist. Um, It says that they never really planned to do any kind of Halloween thing. They just, I guess, wanted a free wedding and they just picked the day that was October 31st. But when they went there, they knew that they did want to partake in an African-American tradition of jumping over a broom, Mm -hmm. which is to symbolize sweeping away their single lives and leaping into the new lives together. But then when they got there, they remembered that they didn't bring a broom. They really don't seem like they put a little (laughs) much thought (laughs) to their wedding. So luckily, the woman that was marrying them was dressed up as a witch, and she had a a broom as a prop. So she, uh, you know, handed them their broom, and then they used that. Well, that's convenient. Not a lot. Yeah, someone's convenient. <laughs> and then uh, the last couple. This is even. This couple cares even less about their wedding. Uh, Samuel Johannan and Mindy Miller of Bordertown, New Jersey, said that they were just interested in having a quick free wedding. And really, they were only getting married so that Mr. Johannan could get on Ms. Miller's health insurance plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So Mindy says, Mindy, who was 45 and she wore a banana costume, and with the joke, she said, I wanted to look appealing. Yeah. So she said, Halloween is an easy day for us to remember, but we're really doing it for the insurance. (laughs) So they really are a couple, but they got married for the insurance and they got married holding their uh, rescue dog Frazzle. And then uh, Samuel just wore a white t-shirt and brown jeans. So... They plan to have a more formal wedding celebration next year for which they said that they might write wedding vows and have a wedding cake. They might. But for now, this was just a way to obtain a signed marriage certificate and a couple of laughs. And um, I like him. Yeah. And so Samuel also made a little jokey joke and said, that's why they call it wedlock when he was walking out of the prison. I take it back. I don't. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Joke. In your face. And that's my Halloween quickie for this week. I love it. Yeah. I, I think I probably told, said this last year, but did I? Did you know that Ben and I got uh, engaged on Halloween? You did? 
Yeah. I didn't not, know that. Not like, a, not like a, oh, this is a Halloween engagement. Like, it wasn't like a themed engagement. <laughs> it just happened to be on Halloween, kind of like those people who just happened to get married on Halloween. I think he wanted to do it because my birthday is November 3rd, and that's election day. And this was Bush Carey election. And I was very politically active. And I think yeah. he was like, I got to get, we got to get engaged before. <laughs> before she might get her heart broken and i did and that's what happened Aww. <laughs> but yeah but he, tried. he tried he tried <laughs> we did get engaged on halloween so. that's so exciting though that's awesome <laughs> good job ben <laughs> good job ben hey jen hey sally are you ready for a crazy story sure <laughs> yes i yes. want some enthusiasm Yes, very much so. <laughs> Great. Okay. Is it Halloween themed? No, but it's then I don't want it. <laughs> okay. Uh yes. Okay. It's Halloween themed. It's spooky, I'm sure. It's spooky. It's okay. very spooky. It, oh, no, there is something. It involves a Halloween mask. So boom. Okay. Right. That does okay. sound spooky. Okay, let's it do is it. Spooky. Okay. So I got my information from Oxygen.com, an article okay. by Benjamin Smith uh, from Murderpedia, from Dateline with Josh Minkowitz, and from Snapped, our Ooh, fave. All the big ones. All the biggies. Yeah. Um, okay. So on the night of January 23rd, 2007, Heather Garris was leaving work in Greeley, Colorado. She was a supervisor at the Colorado State Employees Credit Union, and she was walking out of work, and it was in the evening. She was with a group of coworkers, and they kind of stood around talking in the parking lot for a little bit. And then as she went to say goodbye and get in her car, suddenly a person wearing a black robe and a Grim Reaper mask (gasps) stepped out of the darkness and pointed a gun at Heather. Oh, my God. The figure That is a Halloween-themed... Quickie. It is. I know. I yes. I I, <clears throat> I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. So the figure told Heather to get to her knees. The gun person said, "You've ruined my life," and then shot Heather two times in the head. <gasps> Heather died. Oh my from god! Thirty minutes later, she was only thirty-seven years old. Oh my god! That yeah. I'm sorry. That just caught me off guard. I know. Sorry. I no no no. It caught me off guard because for some reason I was going into it thinking like, oh, it's a setup. It's a scam. I don't know why. Oh, well, because it sounds very cartoony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Um, no, that's awful. Okay. I know. So police rushed to the scene and they knew who Heather Garris was because she was the wife of a police officer, and. When they got there, the witnesses of the scene told officers that despite the disguise, they had no doubt who the killer was. So Heather Garris had met her husband, Ignacio, who everybody called Ig, in college. And they had fallen in love and married young. And the two moved to Greeley, Colorado and had a daughter named Victoria in 1997. The early years of their marriage were happy as they raised their daughter and progressed in their careers. Heather moved up at the credit union to become a supervisor, and Ig became a detective with the Greeley Police Department. In 2003, though, Heather lost both of her parents very quickly. They were both sick and died within like six months. And as you can imagine, she became very depressed. She was on medication for her depression, but she had become distant in her marriage and basically had 
stopped having sex. Like they said that she would go to work, come home and go directly into her room and then not come out until the morning. And I find that completely understandable. So, yeah. Um, but maybe because of this, it's not surprising that in 2004, when Ig met a woman named Shauna Nelson through work, the two started having an affair. Oh. So Shauna Nelson was a 911 dispatcher in Weld County, Colorado, which is where Greeley was. And like Ig, she was also married. Her husband, Ken Nelson, was a sheriff's investigator with Weld County, which is where the two of them met. And um, Ken and Shauna had started dating in 1995 and got married in 1996 and quickly had two children. And Ig and Shauna met because, of course, she was a 911 dispatcher and he was a Greeley police officer. So according to Ig, the two just kept kind of running into each other around town. It's a small town. And he said, we started talking about some issues. We had coffee. She was having some problems with her husband. I was having problems with my wife, Heather. We started confiding in each other. And then one night it became intimate. Mm -hmm. And things got intense very quickly between the two of them. Ig worked nights, so it was easy for him to sneak away and meet up with Shauna. And he kind of felt like this was like a safe affair because they were both married, you know? So he was like, this is just, this is just sex. Like, this is what this is. We're both married. We both have kids. We're not looking for anything else. But for Shauna, she very quickly got possessive of Ig. And according to one of her coworkers, this was just kind of like a pattern with Shauna. She had lots of affairs. And when she was with someone, she would become very possessive and start viewing the other person's spouse as a threat. When she was at work, she would talk about Heather, this bitch. Outwardly, she was not hiding her affairs from people at work. So, um, So she did this with Ig. And actually, Heather's friends say that several times Shauna approached her in public, often with a friend of Shauna's named Michelle. And the two would point at her and laugh and whisper bitch under her under their breath. Oh my God. So she's a bitch for being married to her husband. That shit pisses me off so bad. It's like And it's so her, these are like 35 year old women. Yeah. yeah. I know. Uh, so this, you know, it was a small town. So Heather knew who Shauna was, but she had like could not fathom why Shauna and Michelle would hate her. So she told Ig about the confrontations mm. and he explained it away. And he was like, oh, I think Shauna might have a crush on me. And he talked to Shauna about it and was basically like, what the hell are you doing? And he said that she would get very angry and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not allowed to talk to Snow White. Like just basically like, oh, you're so your wife is off, off limits. Okay, whatever. And according to Ig, three months into this affair, Shauna was telling him that she loved him and that she was ready to leave her husband, Ken. And Ig says that he tried to break things off with Shauna, but Shauna said, if you break things off with me, I'm going to tell Heather. And he knew that Heather had always said, if you ever cheat on me, I'll leave you. So... I don't know. Anyway, so he kind of like makes it seem like I couldn't stop having this affair, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So anyway, so at the end of 2004, Shauna got pregnant and she told me <gasps> and he convinced her to have an abortion. And Heather was like getting suspicious about why are you stressed all the time? But according to her friends, she just didn't want to believe that he would cheat on her. And so mm. she just didn't ever push it. Because he denied it. He was like, I'm just stressed about work, which, I mean, you can understand. He's works at night. He's a police officer. So, right. 
Just like um, ignorance is bliss because then right. if she found out the truth, she'd have to f- deal with it and face yes. it. Yeah. And she, yeah. Had, she had, they had a kid. So it just, so, yeah. you know, so he's, he is in the dateline. He's like, basically is like, I was forced into continuing having sex with Shauna oh because I couldn't tell up. my wife. Right. Grow so, up. So then what does he do? Like he just, he starts having even more affairs. So he's sleeping with other women too, which pisses off Shauna. Like I said, like Heather didn't know about the affairs or didn't want to know. It was basically an open secret among their coworkers that Ig and Shauna were having an affair because Shauna wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. So eventually Ken Nelson, who was Shauna's husband and also a police officer, caught wind of it and he asked Shauna for a divorce. And Shauna said okay and she and her kids moved into an apartment and so now she was free to be with Ig, but he was like, I am not willing to leave my wife. So he's still, during the day, playing the part of the loving husband. He would bring Heather flowers at work, and then at night he would meet up with Shauna to have sex. So in July of 2005, about a year into the affair, and this was soon after she had moved out from her husband after Ken had said he wanted a divorce, Shauna got Ig's last name tattooed on her leg. And he was like, what are you doing? Oh, like, no. This is, I have a wife and a kid and you have a husband and kids. And he once again tried to cut things off. But very quickly after that, she got pregnant again. And even though she had said she was on birth control, but she, this time she told, and it was kind of funny because, not funny, this is not funny. None of this is funny. But on the dateline, Josh Mankiewicz is like, so you couldn't? wear protection because he was like she told me she's on birth control and then she got pregnant twice and he's like you couldn't have worn protection he was like oh she wouldn't let me (laughs) like it's just very convenient um yeah anyway so this time yeah so he was like wanted her to have an abortion again and this time she was like no i'm gonna keep it and he was like i am not leaving heather so shauna decided to go back to her husband ken and see if they could work things out and ken who by all accounts was a very affable, nice guy, decided, agreed to give their marriage another try. And she told him about the pregnancy. And Ken actually told her that he would adopt the baby and raise it as his own along with their two other children. And so in March of 2006, wow. I know, that's a good man. <laughs> that's yeah. Or a good person. I don't know. So in March of 2006, Shauna gave birth to a son, Christian. And that summer, a woman... It doesn't say who, but a woman approached Heather Garris in public and told her about Christian and was like, this woman has your husband's son. This kid is your husband's. And Heather confronted Ig about it. And once again, he denied it. And she believed him. Oh, my God. But even though – so even though Shauna was back with her husband, Ken, and he's raising Ig's baby, Shauna and Ig are still sleeping together. So this is now 2006. And in December of 2006, Heather woke up one night and found that Ig was gone. And when he got home, she confronted him once again and was like, where were you? Are you having an affair? And this time he told her the truth. And he told her about the affair. Shauna made me do it. Over and over and over. For three Uh, years. Oh, my God. So he told her about the affair and about the baby. And the next day, Heather left him. But after just a day, she came back. And she said, 
I'm not going to divorce you, but you have to promise me you do several several things. Like, I want to work on our marriage, and I want to try to save this. So she said, you have to get an STD test. You have to go see a psychologist. And right this minute, you need to call Shauna in front of me and break it off. And so while Heather was standing next to him, Ig called Shauna and told her that they were done. And then a, two days later, in December of 26, 2006, Ig gave up, formally gave up his parental rights at a court hearing. And all of this just incensed Shauna because she was like, you're supposed to be mine, right? So she started, mm-hmm. she sent a picture of the baby to Heather's phone and it said, Ig's flesh and blood. And oh then she test, texted Ig and said, you have no heart. And she texted, my loyalty is gone. I loved and trusted you and you fucked me. Be prepared. And then to Heather, she texted, if you're reading this, you are a psycho bitch. And she started, she kept sending threatening emails and text. And so in early January 2007, Heather and Ig had their lawyer send Shauna a letter asking her to stay away from them. And she did. The emails stopped all of the sudden. Mm -hmm. So that was the first week of January. And then on January 16th, the final email came from Shauna Nelson to Ig. And it said in part, I'm dead inside from all that has happened. I wish you the best and hope you can be happy. I am now living every day in hell. So... On January 23rd, 2007, when the masked figure shot Heather Garris, Shauna Nelson was immediately the prime suspect. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So as soon as police were at the crime scene, a call went out from the Weld County Dispatch Center that they police were looking for Shauna Nelson. And her husband, Ken Nelson, happened to be in the squad room briefing when it was announced that his wife was a murder suspect. Oh, my God. And so he and his partner immediately got in their car and rushed to the Nelson's house. And as they got close to home, Ken sees Shauna behind the wheel of his pickup truck driving up the street. And he jumped out of the car and blocked her off. And Ken started yelling at her, get out of the vehicle. What have you done? And pretty soon there were other officers arrived to take her into custody. And they found that Shauna was wearing... All of the clothes that she was wearing belonged to Ken. She had on his socks, his baseball hat, his underwear, a black tracksuit, and no shoes. And then Ken's shoes with Shauna's DNA on them were actually found left at the crime scene. And then underneath the seat in Ken's truck, they found a Grim Reaper mask. Oh, my God. So she was trying to make it look like it was a man or her husband, I guess. Yeah. (gasps) So it seemed... Her plan was that to murder That took me a Heather. minute. I'm really disappointed in myself. That. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh. Yeah. Apparently, Holy she like, never, never drove his car. But also, I mean, it's like not a very well thought out thing because he was at work. So Right. He had an um, alibi. Yeah. So I also, the so her plan was to frame him and the gun used at the scene was his gun. Wow. And then Shauna actually, I mean, of course, she denied all of it. She said she had been driving Ken's car because she had gone to the liquor store and that she was like, I had no shoes on because I had like, taken a diet pill and it made me really confused. And so when I left, I just forgot them and I forgot my purse, which is why she had come back from the liquor store without actually going in when Ken had stopped her. Here's a fun thing to do. Take a diet pill and then go to a liquor store. <laughs> that does sound kind of fun, i be honest. <laughs> It actually does. Um, I mean, diet pills are just like speed. They're not going to make you not wear your shoes <laughs> to the right. store. 
<laughs> I mean, it's going to make you put on your shoes that faster. That sounds like something a downer would do. <laughs> you're like, get your pills right at least. God, uh, <laughs> if you're going to lie. <laughs> um, Should have been a Mickey or a lewd. <laughs> you doing Not a diet lewds? pill, Shana. <laughs> what are you, what are you uh, in the 1950s? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Man. Oh, man, I used to work for this federal judge, and he was – when I worked for him, this was like 2006, and he was 86 years old. So one of the things that I did for him, other than like legal stuff, was I helped him write Sensual foot massage. <laughs> <laughs> was I – get him some lewds. Mm. Um, lewds, yeah. lewds. No. Was eight, so I was helping him with his memoirs, and – it was just crazy because, like, he was in World War II. He was a, a this huge civil rights attorney. He was a very, like, an amazing man. But he, part of his memoirs was talking about how he and his wife converted this old bus in, into, like, a camper. And they used to take their kids on trips and they would, like, pop some quaaludes. <laughs> Like, with their kids? With their kids. I mean, not the kids, wow. but like with them, like because it was totally legal then. And they were just like, oh, yeah, everybody was doing it. <laughs> I was wow. like, okay. Anyway, okay, sorry. So, okay, so Shauna's trial began in February 2008. She pled not guilty. Ig was one of the star witnesses against her. And the other main witness was actually Shauna's best friend, Michelle Moore, who was the woman who used to go with Shauna when she was taunting Heather Garris in public? Because it turned out that she had helped Shauna plan the murder. And then she had lied, initially lied to police about it. Wait, so, who is this? This is Michelle. She was Shauna's friend who, you know, I told you that they would like go find Heather at the supermarket and be like, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, talking point. This was her friend right, who she right. would do that with. So. So this friend had actually helped her plan the like to make it look like Ken. Mm -hmm. But so when the police came and were like, basically, well, your girl fucked it up. She was told them everything. But they arrested her and charged her with conspiracy to commit murder. And so she cut a deal and testified against Shauna. So she told them, yes, she told them everything. She said, Shauna planned this. She was trying to make it look like Ken. And then, but then when Shauna Nelson took the stand in her own defense, she said that she and Michelle Moore had been lovers. And she was like, Michelle's testimony is just revenge because I broke up with her. And she actually suggested that maybe Michelle had done it and tried to frame her, which (gasps) nobody believed. What a bitch. Right. Why would she do that? Like, Um, why would Michelle, I mean, why would Michelle do that? No reason. Because she, well, she just yeah. basically was like, she was a, like a spurned lover. And Michelle was like, we never had a sexual relationship. This oh, my was God. Like, yeah. So anyway, it was just reaching on Shauna's part. I mean, the, the jury found her guilty of murder in the first degree and gave her life in prison without the possibility of parole. And Michelle Moore was actually sentenced to nine years in jail and three years of mandatory parole in March of 2008. And she has since been released. Ken Nelson left the police force after his wife was arrested. He divorced Shauna and is raising their three children, including Christian. Three children. Oh, and the baby. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Out of state. So they moved out of state. Ig resigned from the Greeley Police Department and moved to Florida. And following her conviction, 
Shauna Nelson told the Denver Post, somebody did a really good job of framing me. And sure, Shauna. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's now 48, and she is currently serving out her life sentence at the Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Wow. Oh, my God. That poor baby Christian. Can you imagine, like, one parent being in jail and the other parent not having anything to do with the Like, so the yeah. other – he like, so he's not raising him, and then he's being raised by – oh, my gosh. It's – I wow. know. It's a real like that's just I poor poor little guy. Well, I hope he's living Ken sounds like a really good person and I'm sure that he's living a good life. Yeah. It's just I just feel so bad for him. Shauna, oh my God, what a evil person. Yeah. So that's my Hallow- Halloween themed crazy story. Whoa. That I that totally, was- totally did on purpose. Well, thanks for doing that on purpose. You're welcome. Because that was a good story. Yeah. Man. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a non-Halloween-themed love story? I am ready for a love story. I feel like that that crazy story was real dark. And so I'm ready for something to lighten it up. This is a real lighthearted, good palette cleanser of a love story there's really i'm just gonna tell you there's not any ups downs and all arounds it's just good old-fashioned nice clean friendly love story i'm so you know what i need that i need (laughs) it i want no crying in this one no tears this information came from an article for biography.com by barbara maranzani and an article for countryliving.com written by tierney mcafee an article for CNBC written by Kathleen Elkins, mm-hmm. and an article for People written by Sophie Dodd. Thanks, so, everybody. Good thank work. you, guys. Good job, team. As many of you guys know, just recently on October 1st, Jimmy Carter, the 39th president of the United States, celebrated here in Atlanta his 96th birthday, what making him – yeah making him the longest lived of the 44 men to hold the highest American office, which can I tell is you something the presidency. That is, yeah. <laughs> can I tell you something that, that ties in? Is what? That the judge that I was just talking about was yeah. actually nominated to the bench by Jimmy Carter. That's how old he was. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. So – I know I just said that they celebrated here in Atlanta. It actually wasn't. They celebrated in, his, in their home, which is in Plains, Georgia. I always consider them to be Atlantans because of the Carter Center, you know? Yeah. Um, which is them. here in Atlanta. Yeah. They they live here in their, yeah. in their center. Um, so they celebrated <laughs> at his home in Plains, in Plains, Georgia with his wife, Rosalind, who is 93 years old. The Carter Center here in Atlanta just released some photos showing the couple who've been married for more than 74 years, um, sitting in lawn chairs at the gates of their residence and waving as local residents drove by and honored him with parade. Um, So people were in like golf carts and vehicles with American flags and streamers and balloons. But don't worry, they all were wearing masks in fact, Jimmy and uh, Rosalind Carter were both wearing masks that had the Atlanta Braves logos on them because they're, that's their favorite team. <laughs> so that's cute. right. Um, this love story is to celebrate the 74-year marriage of Jimmy Carter and the love of his life, Rosalind. 
I love it. I know. Oh. So born in 1924, you know, and I didn't, this is an interesting fact. He was the first president to be born in a hospital. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Yeah. So James Earl, Jimmy, as they call him, Carter Jr., was the eldest son of, or eldest child of James and Bessie Carter, who um, she went by Lillian, of their four children. So his father was a successful local businessman and his mother worked long hours as a nurse. They grew up in and around Plains, Georgia, where they live now, which is a small town of approximately, and at the time of Jimmy's birth, there was only about 600 people that lived in that town at the time. And Jimmy was always a very good student, and he had huge dreams of moving out of Plains, Georgia. He was inspired by his uncle who had was in the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And so he had always set his sights on having a military career. So Wilbur and Allie Smith were neighbors of the Carters growing up in Plains, Georgia. And in the summer of 1927, which seems like such a long time ago, um, (laughs) his Jimmy Carter's mother, Lillian, actually helped deliver their first child. Because she was a nurse. And so she delivered this child. And the little girl's name was Eleanor Rosalind, (gasps) who went by Rosalind. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Chills. When he Jimmy was little, he was only like three or four years old. They had Jimmy come meet the new baby, and little did he know that this little baby that his mom delivered was gonna end up being his wife of 74 years. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? So when they were growing up, just like everywhere in America, the Great Depression hit real hard. So it hit their town of Plains very hard. And Rosalind's family's economic situation was got was even worsened when her father died when she was just 13 years old. So she had to start working to support her family alongside her mother. Her mother had like a series of jobs. Seeing her mother work so hard and then Rosalind having to work so hard, it really impressed the importance of hard work and independence. Yeah. Um, But even though she worked so hard, she was also um, an excellent student and she graduated near the top of her high school class and was set on attending college, which was her father's dying wish for all of his children was for all of them to go to college. That's amazing. Yeah. Rosalind was actually a very good friend of Jimmy's little sister, Ruth. Rosalind had known Jimmy her whole life, but it wasn't until 1945 that romance started to blossom. Yeah. Yeah. They they had to grow up a little. (laughs) Yeah. And so (laughs) Rosalind was a freshman at the uh, Georgia Southwestern College, and Jimmy had actually gone there for a little while, and then he went to Georgia Tech, and then he finally fulfilled his dream and went to the Annapolis Naval Academy, just like his uncle. And Mm -hmm. so he was in his final year at the Naval Academy when he came back to Plains, Georgia to visit. And the town was super proud of him. He was like a celebrity there for going there, you know? I guess in a town of 600, yeah. Yeah. And so she would always see like all these pictures of him around in his military uniform. And, you know, she, of course, thought he was very handsome. But when he came home to visit... He was actually supposed to go on a date. He had plans to go on a date with another girl. She was actually Miss Georgia Southwestern. And so 
So she was a beauty queen. Mm-hmm. And the, it would have um, never lasted, Jimmy. It would have never yeah. lasted. And so the plans fell through because she had a family reunion that she couldn't get out of. And this all came from a very cute interview that I watched him give Oprah Winfrey on Super Soul Sunday. Yeah. And hearing him talk about his wife, he was like blushing still Aww. at like, he was like 90 <laughs> years old at this, at the point of the interview. And he yeah. was just like, his face turned bright red, just talking about how beautiful his wife was. So when his date fell through, he thought to himself, I gotta get a date tonight. Like I'm about to go be around men for another year. And this is the last chance I'm going to have to have like a date with a woman. So he drove around town looking for a date. And (laughs) so he drove around and then he finally spotted his sister was on a, a, like out walking. So he saw his, they were walking down the street together. His sister was walking with her friend, Rosalind. So he just on a whim, you know, asked her if she wanted to go to the movies And so they did. They went to the movies, and that night they had their first kiss. And when Jimmy went home, he told his mother that he had met his future wife. So I love when that happens. Yeah. (laughs) So they continued dating, even though they both went back to school. And that winter, he proposed to her, but... She really, really wanted to finish college first, and she thought that things were going too fast. So she actually told him no. She turned him down. But Jimmy persisted. And later when Rosalind came and visited him at the Naval Academy that spring, they did become engaged. And he gave her a compact with the letters engraved on it. And the letters were I-L-Y-T-G, which is I thought it was like, love you like a... Right, that's what I was saying. But no, but it actually (laughs) means I love you the goodest, which is like a thing that they would say to each other. Um, So isn't that cute? And so then they were they were married at the Plains Methodist Church on July seventh, nineteen forty six, just one week after he graduated. And so, because he was in the naval, uh, in the navy, (laughs) the naval, (laughs) because he was in the navy, they spent the early part of their married years um, moving constantly. First, they went to Norfolk, Virginia, where she gave birth to their uh, the first of their four children. And then after that, they ha- they went to Hawaii, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. And then they finally settled down in New York. And she really loved all of the moves. She loved being a, Navy, a naval wife. And she loved yeah. just constantly being on the go and seeing the world. But when Jimmy's father sadly passed away in 1953, Jimmy felt that it was his duty to resign from the Navy and go back home to Plains, Georgia to run the family's peanut farm. Yeah. And so Rosalind went, um, obviously she went with her husband, but she was very unhappy about the idea of moving back home to Plains. You know, they had seen the world and they were doing all these big, big things. And the idea of going back to the small town that she came from it was just very hard for her apparently the communication kind of broke down between the two jimmy wrote in a memoir that uh rosalind avoided talking to me as much as possible (laughs) she said that that was the rockiest part of their marriage yeah to quote her she said the best part of my life had ended and she struggled to find her own role and to put herself on equal footing with her husband you know because she basically just went back to just living his life but 
After some time when she started to help him with running the farm and taking over the business's finances, and then the farm started to turn a profit, she found her purpose again, you know, and things got easier. And then they had four children together. So they had the one uh, son, Jack, that they had right after the wedding. And then they had their son, Chip and Jeff in 1950 and 1952. And then, of course, 14 years later, they welcomed their daughter, Amy, who actually spent her childhood growing up in the White House. Right. Rosalind played a very important role in Jimmy's political career. Now that they were settled in Georgia, they became involved together in both in civic and religious communities. Um, Jimmy would teach Sunday school at the local Baptist church every Sunday, and he actually still does that to this day. He still teaches Sunday school. And in 1962, he won a seat at the Georgia State, in the Georgia State Senate, and he then set his sights on becoming governor in 1970. And even though Rosalind was always a very shy person, she learned to come out of her shell when she was like campaigning tirelessly for on her husband's behalf. Right. You know, and would go all over the state campaigning for him. And he won. So then she took on the new role as Georgia's first lady, where she began working on causes that she would continue to work on for the rest of her life, um, including a lot of mental illness advocacy. Right. When Jimmy announced his candidacy for the 1976 presidential election, she once again took to the campaign trail and she went and visited more than 40 states. And so to campaign for him. And then um, it all paid off when she stood by her husband's side while he was sworn in as the 39th president of the United States on January 20th, 1977. So when he won, they moved in with their youngest child, Amy, to the White House. And Rosalind, breaking with tradition, became a very close advisor to her husband. In fact, she was the first presidential spouse to ever have her own office in the East Wing. And she would sit in on cabinet meetings, advise on staff and personnel moves, Mm -hmm. and she served as an envoy on overseas trips. They were so closely aligned that Jimmy referred to Rosalind. I I keep saying her full name, but he calls her Rosa. But he said that Rosa was the perfect extension of himself. Oh, that's really amazing. I know. And so they continued to work together in their post-presidency years, even though they were devastated in 1980 when he was um, defeated in the re-election and they returned home to Georgia to their modest two-bedroom ranch in Plains, you know, where they lived before, and Mm -hmm. they continue to live to this day. But the, the couple continued to champion their causes and humanitarian efforts through both the Carter Center, which we were talking about earlier, and their work with Habitat for Humanity, which over time together, they have built more than 4,000 homes around the world. And in 2002, Jimmy was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his decades of work supporting democracy and human rights. In 2015, Jimmy was diagnosed with cancer, which of course shook the couple to their core, but they later said in interviews that the ordeal had brought them even closer together, and they noted plans for them both to be buried under a willow tree on the grounds of their house in Plains, where their story began. Oh my gosh. So, 
I know. And on July 7th, this past July 7th, they celebrated their 74th wedding anniversary, which is about 27,000 days together. Isn't that crazy? 27,000. They say that the key to their happy marriage of more than seven decades boils down to a couple of rules that they follow. For starters, they get, uh, he says, we give each other plenty of space. She has lots of interests that I don't share and vice versa. I have interests that she doesn't share. He spends his mornings in his study or swimming and Rosa prefers Tai Chi and meditation. I love that. I love that. He said, we get together whenever we can. They often cook side by side and enjoy watching their home baseball team, the Atlanta Braves, play. And secondly, they say that they never go to sleep angry. There is a rule that they said we follow pretty meticulously and sometimes with great difficulty. He said, we have 21 grandchildren and four children, so we have a lot of arguments about our family, but we try to get over that argument before we go to sleep. And one another last thing that they do before they go to sleep is they read each other the Bible together every night in Spanish. He said they started doing that 40 years ago, and ever since, they've never missed a night. Wow. Isn't that cute? It's really cute. They're amazing, and they've done so much good good stuff for the world. And it just makes me so happy that they have such an amazing partnership. I love it. I think... And I think we were due for just like a, a real a love story with no crying in it. No crying, just all good feels. <laughs> all good feels. <laughs> all right, dude. So that is our love story this week. Are you um, ready to do something dumb and something we love? I am ready. And I'm going to go first. You um, better because it's your turn. So I'm going to stay away from politics because this whole Trump COVID thing is – Super dumb, uh, but I believe I'm sure oy, what oy, it, like oy, by the time oy, you guys hear this, who knows what has happened. So I'm gonna keep it personal and just say I was supposed to. And this wasn't a podcast curse. This was my own doing. But Ben and I were supposed to go out to Colorado to stay at Doctor Dude Fucks for a couple weeks, and we were yeah. supposed to be there now. And um, and I was so we were so excited. But then the thing I love and also am like I just wanted to talk about this a little bit because we've been talking about how crazy virtual school is, how hard decisions around schooling have been for all parents. But so Max got a spot at, in Georgia, there's like free pre-K, but it's through a lottery. So not every kid gets a spot, but he ended up being offered a spot at a free pre-K that's like a teeny little pod. Like it's at this little crunchy hippie school. And Mm, so it's just like, yeah, it's, they make all the food for them and it's all vegetarian and organic <laughs> like they had a popsicle nice. party for his first day but they're like it's all it's like just fruit juice like organic fruit it's like okay i mean he just eats straight sugar at home but that's fine <laughs> but anyway so he got that school offered, he'll get his nourishment yeah it was school I'll give him give him all the veggies but he was offered this spot and we really wrestled with it because it's like a six to eight kid pod and his little friend that we have been in the pod with was also offered a spot so they could both go together. And so uh, anyway, we decided to take it. It was a very hard decision because of course that like opens up our exposure and his exposure and right. um, so much more than we had been just being at home. But also we were like, I think he really needs it. I think we are really have been really struggling to like work our full-time jobs and as everybody is. It's probably um, going to be safer in the long run because I think that 
Georgia school, all like yes, our district that we're in are going to go back. Yeah, yeah. So we were like, okay, so if that's going to go back, that would be in like a big school with twenty two kids in a classroom versus this tiny little school where they can do they can just they're just much more agile about like if right. if somebody gets they can shut down. So anyway, not I'm not trying to like justify it, but I also am just saying. But you're also just trying to justify it. I'm absolutely 100% trying to justify it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think you made the right choice. I mean, I, yeah. I just, I don't think there's any good choice. I think there's no good choices here. Like everybody is just like, you know, we can, yeah, it's like nothing feels right. Everything feels wrong. Everything feels bad. So I don't know, but I know that like we were just like, I think we need to give this a try because this is like, we just really, we just, it was like, seemed like the best thing for all of us. So, uh, so anyway, so he started school and I think it's good. And, and so that's something I love. And, um, and also I just wanted to say that just so that everybody who's making different choices around schooling for their children, just know that like, I see you, I feel you. (laughs) Yeah. There's, There's no wrong choice. For you, unless you're one of those assholes who's like sending your kid unmasked to like a giant public school and then telling them to cough on kids. Okay, so that's yeah. Don't do yeah. that. Don't do that because my four year old wears his mask all day at school. So okay, so the other thing I love is that I think I I talked about this like right when it happened, but my friend Alex got a he did a pilot for a show. I don't want to talk too much about because it, it hasn't started yet, but he he did a pilot for a network and then the pilot got picked up and that was so Uh exciting. And then of course they were just getting into production and everything shut down for COVID. But Uh. the thing that I love is that his show is back in production. So they're getting to make it. It's, I can't wait to come out. I'll tell you all about it when it comes out, but I'm just, I mean, he's like one of my very best friends and I'm just so proud of how hard he's worked and that he has gotten this amazing opportunity and that he has like seized it and is like working his butt off to make it happen. And I know this show is going to be amazing because he's one of the funniest people I know. And um, and also he has a podcast that you can listen to now. And I think I've talked about it before, but it's called The Local News and it's with him and another um, good friend and very funny comedian, Tommy Jonigan. So if you like our show, you'll love it. It's it's a similar idea of they do all they do all news stories that won't make you sad. So yeah, so it's a real fun a real fun podcast. And so listen to that. So that's the thing I love. What about you? Nice. Sorry, I just talked for a long time. No, I love it when you talk. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess there's something dumb this week. Um, the dumb thing is I haven't really talked about it. I've just been doing it. Okay. I, you know, my dog passed away a few months ago and I've been wanting another dog. I've, yeah. I've just like, I've had puppy fever. I can't stop looking at puppies. And my husband is like, I don't want another dog. I think it's a terrible idea. I'm not on board at all. Uh-huh. But if you have to do it, then I guess go for it. But just know that I don't <laughs> want it. Just know and I was nothing like, to do with this dog. So that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking at all these puppies and um and applying for different rescue dogs and puppies and and I haven't heard anything back from anybody. It's like I'm just like shouting into the wind, like right. and applying for all these dogs <laughs> and nothing. And then the night we found out that the pop up 
wasn't going to happen. Uh, you know, it was just like a real shit day. And then I had a few glasses of wine mm-hmm. and then I like saw this real cute puppy and I was like, I'm going to get this fucking puppy then. Like today sucks. <laughs> I'm going to get a puppy. Deserve a puppy. So I applied for this dog and then I, and then, and I've applied for other dogs since and I haven't heard anything back. And just this morning I got a text message from this one place that said, Hey, do you remember the dog Maggie that you applied for? And I said, yes. And they said, well, it turns out Maggie is actually a marshal. Are you still oh. interested? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm still interested. How do and they so not know that? That's what Zach wants to know. Zach is a <laughs> little he suspicious. suspicious, but I was just like, so I have no idea what's going to happen, but I was just like, but I keep telling myself whatever dog comes my way is the dog that's meant to be. And who knows? I don't know if I'm going to hear back from these people or not. I told them I was interested. They said they would get back to me. We'll see. I wanted to say that. I love that I'm finally hearing something back. Yeah. But I do love that when I, my husband who has been very anti, oh, I forgot to mention that my good friend, Jill, Hi, Jill, who listens to the podcast. Hello, Jill. She just got a puppy, and the puppy is so wonderful. His name is Charlie, and he is, like, the cutest, sweetest, most well-behaved, like, wonderful thing in the whole wide world. And um, we met him the other day, and I think that might have helped Zach come around on a puppy. Oh, yeah. Was and like, um, oh, hello, puppy. He's like, that's a good puppy. That's a good puppy. <laughs> you were like, let's just steal but Jill's puppy. That's a good one. And so, um, but today when I told him that I got the text message and then I showed him the pictures of this dog, he was like, it's really cute. And ah. I saw the crack in his face and I'm like, <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. So I don't know. It might not be this dog. So I don't want to get my hopes up, but at least there's like a crack in the Zach's stone cold no dog. There's it's breaking a little bit. And it's um, I think the universe will send me what dog we're supposed to get. I can't wait. So, I can't wait to yeah. meet him, her. I know. Who knows? They. <laughs> so they. I um, wait to meet them. But yeah. Well, that's, that's fun. That's about it. So I guess also I could just say this something that I love is my friend Jill's new puppy, Charlie. <laughs> he's so cute. Well, that's it, dude. That's our episode. Good one. Yeah. We did Good it. One. 70, 70 episodes. That's so many episodes. God. Who would have thought, Jen? Who would have thought? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> not me. No, not me. <laughs> uh, huh. Did you guys think? What do you think? Should we keep going? Let us know. Give us a shout. Yeah. Uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Dumb Love Podcast, or email us your stories at dumblovepod at gmail.com. Find us on Patreon, where we just posted, or we're about to post videos of us doing stand-up so if you're it's ever posted. curious about that it's, it's posted. it's live it's live um, we have a quickie episode coming out um we're about to do some questions so there's lots of good stuff happening over there so so join us on patreon and we love you guys we love you guys and get out there and do something dumb for love dum <laughs>